Hey everyone, Tom here, Alpha Talica, back with yet another episode of the show. You may have noticed, I mean, we ended the song run quite a while ago and we've been going off into uncharted waters. We've been talking about, you know, grand histories of Jason Newstead, uh, Joe Rogan episode with Hetfield. Just today, I uploaded the chat that I did with Husey about a week ago, went through Donington 95. That was a great chat, went through the, the whole bill. I want to call it Monsters of Rock, but it wasn't Monsters of Rock. It was Escape from the Studio. And, uh, you know, we discussed that. And, um, yeah, today is another one of those episodes, really, where it's more about a facet of Metallica's history. And today we're going to be looking at the history of Metallica's stage designs, their, their, their stage craft, the overall presentation throughout their tours. And just before we get to the guest, I want to say, follow us at MetallicaPod, get in touch with me, MetallicaPod at gmail.com. If you want to come on the show, like, like today's guest, just email me over there. Let me know what you want to discuss. If there's nothing you, you particularly know you want to discuss, you know, I'll, I'll throw a few topics out there like I did with uh, the Joe Rogan episode with Mark and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, if you enjoy the show, as I always say, please leave us a review on itunes go check out what people are saying over there they're mostly glowing mostly positive uh patreon is there as well also if you want to go a little bit further if you want to be a mega fan of Metallica, shout out to all the patrons who support over there basically what that means is you get access to episodes like this um weeks before they come out at the time of me recording this uh, an episode that i was really excited to do actually i'm really happy to finally uh, record it and edit it together where i went from my top 10 favorite instrumental albums so it wasn't really a metallica chat per se and i'm looking to branch out into more just general music chat and stuff like that so uh yeah those things are over there we're on spotify we're on well we're not on youtube actually the youtube channel currently is in limbo it got taken down for no reason that i can discern and i'm trying to fight to get it back online so hopefully that'll be back on there by the time you hear this but uh yeah you know all the avenues you can help alpha Metallica out at so um today you know i am joined by uh by john all the way from sweden john how's it going it's going very well thank you tom and uh, nice to be here. it's great no great to have you and you know we're all kind of unified globally we're all going through this these chaotic times like uh you know i, I promise dear listeners we're going to talk mostly about metallica but just out of interest how is it for you over there with the whole covid thing i mean it's, sweden has taken a bit of a different approach which you can see if you've been following any media mm-hmm. in this and we are more of doing the normal life type thing yeah so it, i mean what i can it's some of the effects i see is that the metro is empty right which is you know sort of nice you know yeah. it's, a, it's a good side effect of things and uh you know, I can't see my grandmother and, and, and such and such. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And the kids are still in school here. Uh, from age up, up until 15, you're still in school. So wow. society at large is a bit more as it used to be, maybe than, let's say, Italy, Spain, US, something like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, in England, it's uh, it, it's pretty much in complete lockdown. Like, you know, what, what, one of the things I'd like to do in these summer months is busk uh, on the on the Oxford high streets. And uh, unfortunately, I can't do that right now. Uh, and that's a minor thing. I know people are really suffering out there. Yeah. You know, I can't play Beatles songs. But... Online busking. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe so. Yeah. People can send me bitcoins and stuff like that. But uh, yeah. you, you and uh, you and Metallica then, like, how long have you been a fan? How did you first start getting into the band? It's, I, th- I think it was a bit of an interesting time, at least for me it was, uh, around late 90s, I'm born in 86, so uh, around age 11, 12, I first heard some Metallica on, and it was, you know, almost pre-internet, I think we had some old dial-up connections. Sure, stuff. sure. And uh, it came on state TV, actually, in Swedish state TV, it was mm-hmm. the Unforgiven video, and uh, I wasn't a fan at, 
at once. You know, I thought it was a little bit over pompous or something like yeah, that. I, I, see I that. really get into the song, and for a long time, that song has, was difficult for me because it was maybe emotional in the wrong way, like over the top. Mm-hmm. But, uh, now, now I love it. Uh, I remember your episode on Unforgiven. You said something like that. Verse, man, like coming home or something like that. <laughs> yeah, 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 something like that. I'm still not like I, I like I like Unforgiven a lot, but it's it, it is slightly overblown, isn't it? And that that's the point of it. But but I know what you're saying. It's quite, it's... I love it now, but yeah. now I'm a Metallica nerd of you know quite high rank. So I, okay. you, know, you went you go back and you listen to it again, and now I feel like maybe I wasn't really ready for that. Kind sure, of sure. Thick array of emotions that it brings forth. <laughs> right. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, Quite soon after that, I began middle school, and then there was, you know, a, a group of guys trying to find identity, and I, I didn't have that kind of sports guy mentality, so it was mm-hmm. natural to go for the the music, the music kids, you know, and uh, it was all about playing guitar and uh, learning as quickly as possible, and I was just before that heavily into Iron Maiden, which I still am. Mm-hmm. That was my main band, but then some other guys came in and like, yeah, you got you got to try Metallica, you know, this is the heaviest riffs, this is the coolest riffs, yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, and you know, it, uh, we st- started trading ideas of that, and then uh, around that time, it was S&M mm-hmm. came out, and Call of Cthulhu was my my jam. Really. Oh my god! It was yeah. something very very cool for me. You know, you had all that kind of uh, almost the vibes from Final Fantasy games that I played when I was you know nine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can feel kind of like the battle music, kind of the yeah. Cthulhu, right? Yeah, I can definitely hear that. Yeah. From the bell tolls, actually, that one is really close to the battle song. But you know, it, overall yeah, the vibe. Yeah, yeah, um, and I think it's Nobuo Umetsu is the main composer, isn't exactly. it, for Final Fantasy? Who, yeah, Michael Kamen-esque in a certain way. So oh, that's a good comparison. Yeah. Everybody thought of that, yeah. Yeah, and then oh, and then Reload uh, was out just mm-hmm. then because that was the new album. But the, the talk of my, you know, my friends and class was like, yeah, yeah, don't don't go listen to Reload. You gotta listen to Master. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I like these friends. I like these friends. Yeah, yeah, very informed some way, you know. They even had the tab books, the art of James Hetfield, the art of Kirk Hammett, you know, so they were really oh, like... Yeah, I've seen vivid, those, yeah, yeah. Rapid Metallica fans. And again, it's pre-internet, so you need that stuff kind of printed out yeah. for you to, to get some guidance. And yeah, I checked out Master Power. It's the second song after Cthulhu, if, I'm, if I remember right. From that's SM. right, yeah, that's right. It goes straight into that. I mean, how could you not? I still think, you know, it's unbeatable, that song. So I think that one really like, kind of cemented me as a, as a big fan and... Yeah, I, then I, w- I was actually wa- wavering quite a bit when Sankt Anger came out and mm-hmm. I was discovering other music uh, outside of metal, you know, as you do in high school, I guess. Yep. I remember Rain Dogs, for example. Like, like oh, the Tom, uh, Tom yeah, reference yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. yeah. It well, oh, man, ama- amazing album. You're kidding me. Yeah, one of the best ever. I bought it on CD, so mm-hmm. that was that Metallica story. And then I, I kind of really got back into them when I started seeing them live, which is kind of topical for today I guess mm-hmm. because I avoided them live on the Sankt Anger tour and also on Death Magnetic and then I've seen them live three times subsequently and it's just such a good live band in my opinion it doesn't get much better yeah, yeah undeniably so and you know today we're going to be kind of having this you know a little, a little bit of a, a rambling chat we're going to try and cover all of Metallica's um, live stages live sets and kind of ruminate on the designs because the band in many ways have, you know, trailblazed um, in terms of their expansive 360 sets and, and, and snake pits, etc. But um, in terms of yourself, I mean, you're you're well equipped for a conversation like this. You kind of work within sound engineering stage production, right? Yeah, I do. I do, actually. But m- actually, mainly sound engineering. Because okay. that started, you know, you plug your, your guitar into a, an app and then you start tweaking. 
oh, yeah. find that. What, is, what, is what does treble mean? Already, yeah. yeah, you're already a sound engineer, basically. And <laughs> yeah, then I guess. Just goes on, you know, I would be the guy in the band that could maybe handle the mixing desk. And uh, I also got into the my first jobs was through bands, like musicians I'd played with. I knew that I knew the, the craft, sort of. So I worked mm. a lot. I worked with probably a thousand bands on, on small level. Okay. And then I have to do everything. So that comes into a bit of stage design, I guess, and uh, lightning design and such. But really, my, my, uh, my trade would be uh, the sound part of it. But I'm interested in the full picture. And uh, there's a lot of cool talents about, in, uh, especially in metal, actually, for sound design. or uh, I mean, uh, light design. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, you, mentioned, uh, you mentioned Maiden before as well. Like I think they've yeah. got they've got like a, a Spitfire plane on their latest tour. I don't know if you've seen that. Like, I kind of I sworn to myself that maybe I should stop seeing them live. I've seen them live six times, and it's really my my. I would say I'm a bleeding heart Maiden fan since mm-hmm. most of my life. But I thought maybe I'm done with them live, and then I decided to see the show, and that was very very yeah. What could you say? Expensive. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Every every song was like the encore, or every song was the song when. <laughs> It comes out, you know. So, and I think it works really well for them. It's it's very cool, and but you can compare them to Metallica. That they're, they're actually very different live. Like they have a very rigid set. It's always yeah. the same. They and, they uh, they normally play the whole new album, don't they? Made and they tend to sort of do that. I know. I think that's a matter of pride, you know, for mm. them. Really, they they don't want to be a, a novelty act or a cabaret act. But uh, they also play the same um, sequence of songs every night, and they have you know different backgrounds different props and stuff, so they can't really swap it around too much. Whereas Metallica, they have, that's their thing. They, every set is different since a few years back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they got the revolving slots. I mean, you know, Metallica are rigid to a certain extent, and like 70% of the set will be the same every night. Whereas, say, like a band like Pearl Jam, they'll just do a new set every night, which I just think is incredible. Yeah, yeah, uh, I've heard you mention them. I've, I was never a fan, but they, uh, I think they could do longer sets too, right? Because it's not as physical... True, yeah, mm-hmm. the music isn't quite... Yeah, they've. I think they've gone to four hours a few times, Pearl Jam, or certainly gone to the high reaches of three hours. So, yeah, they... Uh... That makes seem short, but they're really not. They're, you know, they take a lot of time compared to most metal bands in that age, too. You know, the physical age of the, of the members and musicians. Yeah. Playing over two hours of, of quite intense metal and without proper technique. I mean, they're not schooled technically. Lars is beating from his heart, you know, not from... <laughs> technical standpoint he's not using like he's just his wrist or something like that he's just sitting there beating it so yeah there's no there's no economy of motion is there no you're right he's not as as disciplined in that in that sense but it's all the more for it so i mean early on then you know in the touring days before metallica were really metallica you know we're talking like the killer more for one tour uh you know seven dates of hell when they were i mean that's slightly different because i was supporting for venom and stuff like that but um i mean when you look at photos of those days it's just the kind of classic metal stage set isn't it it's it's the marshals it, it's the high drum kit it's kind of synonymous with that that style but there's still something so, so charming about that i find when you see that like um you know like uh the the, the famous kill em all set in new york and stuff like that that's captured it's kind of what any other band would play in front of it's kind of it's not got the stamp of them on it quite yet which is, i find that nice to look at it's mm. like, interesting to see because it reminds me more of my job obviously i, I have worked huge productions too but then i'm just you know a guy moving a box really yes or something like that you know i'm an assistant to an assistant something mm-hmm, like that mm-hmm. so you're really like estranged from the the actual production in a way i mean you're in your little subdivision but when you see that type of stage like you see in for example some yeah, kill em all era stuff it's just uh, 
you know, it's just a club. It's just the, the yeah. stock setup of a club, but it's, often it's these steady cans too, you know. The, the lights are not even moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're just sometimes switching lights, sometimes just steady red in one point or something. So you really see Metallica without like the really the money to to uh, amp up the show and make it as huge as, as it is today. But still, it's Metallica live, and it's almost as good, I would say. Yeah, yeah, it certainly sharpens the appeal, doesn't it? Like if you think about, I don't know, uh, through the Never, for example, where you have the overhead shots and all the props on stage and the, the blood pouring over underneath. This is just the band, it's kind of like Kill 'Em All. You know, it's kind of a, a stripped down approach that, that that perfectly matches that. And um, you know, it's interesting as well. As as we push forward, like I think, um, again, it's not necessarily their set or anything like this, but in, say, like, um, you know, Day on the Green and stuff like that, you have the first, when metal bands start to make a little bit of money and they can play into the dramaturgy a bit, you get the giant flag behind. So you get sort of the sparkly ride the lightning, like, like that. again, there's something quite quaint about that that I love. Yeah, it's, it's it's just uh, you know I think it's before they could get really too creative about things. You know, the, the budget maybe just came in there, so you could have a you know you can have your drum tech and your sound guy and and so forth, and then you still have a little bit left, and that's when you start looking at things like that. I don't how how big is that backdrop? It's pretty huge, actually. I'm looking at a photo now. Um, so uh, one of the books I'm going to refer to throughout this is um, Matt Taylor's Back to the Front. I don't know, I don't know if you've got this book, this hardcover history of the Master of Puppets era. I don't have it, but I want it. Oh, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, um, I, I've gone on about it loads and been on Metal League Podcast and we've done a whole episode on it. But um, there's, there's an incredible photo that I love where it's basically Cliff and James uh, coming on stage. Oh, sorry, it's at Donington when they're coming on stage here, but it, it's the same sort of tour. And yeah, it's absolutely massive. It, it, it goes way above the stacks of amps, which is kind of three by three, and the, the Metallica font there is laid across. So it, it almost looks like a pirate sail on, on, on some giant galleon or something like that, the way it's set up. And the way the wind's pregnant behind it but um i mean this is kind of uh you because uh, i watched a great documentary recently about the uh, the us festival the, the the california music festival the sort of pop festival that steve wozniak done and that was one of the first festivals that used those big screens so you know right. way in the back you could see it and it had like delayed sound and stuff like that so it was around this time that that was coming in and i don't know if they had them at donington probably not around this era but um yeah that's all you could have really but but it but it is massive you know it, it's kind of designed in such a way that you can see it from you know a hundred thousand back or something like that so that harkens back a little bit to what maiden is doing they have the different song Backgrounds, so they have a yes. huge backdrop for for, for each, not for every song, but for almost every song. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I, my experiences with backdrops is that in bands I've played with, we've had you know the tiny little backdrop that you can afford, and even that one is a little bit hard to make it. You know, just stick there, just sit nicely, straight. Yep, yep. Uh, you're you know you're making your apartment look nice. You know that it's quite hard to hang shit <laughs> up. Yeah. Oh yeah, oh yeah, no, definitely. And uh, I mean, it's, it's like. You know, whenever you go to, you know, whenever you go to festivals and stuff like that, when, like when I've been to Glastonbury or you always see the download and stuff, when when the next band's coming on stage and the roadies are doing stuff, often the, the flag will drop, you know, and that'll be the first sign that this band are coming on and people are getting started and they just have their logo there. And like, like you say, it's just, it's just a bit of, uh, you know, a bit of interior design, isn't it? A bit of feng shui uh, behind the band to just connote the whole emotion of the thing. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. And uh, yeah, it has... Uh... You know, if you're Metallica and you're coming up, and this is Ride Lightning era we're talking about, right? Yes, yeah. 
it's already like it's already something like you, uh, if you're on that team you want to really deliver so you can't really have like the backdrop falling off from one one corner you know you're going to be out of a job probably mm-hmm. uh, very soon so even, even a simple thing like that i think it, it requires a, a bit of skill and um craftsmanship really and uh, you know it's funny we keep coming back to iron maiden but i think it's quite a pertinent comparison because when you think of the metallica logo on that flag and like maiden as well the font the font is instantly recognizable you know the the pointed letters on the m and the a or in maiden sense i don't know how you'd really describe the iron maiden font it's quite angular, isn't it, with the red? And then yeah. the O's really unique. I always remember the O's in, in iron, like you just kind of the bottom end of it. Yeah, I guess I always saw it like kind of pagan Europe or something. You yeah, know, yeah, been... definitely. Ye olde sort of, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just, you didn't use a pen when you when you did that. You'd use like carving in rock or something. I don't know. Yeah, there <laughs> is something quite primitive and yeah. Yeah, compared to when you do theater, for example, I mean, when a live band has a huge um, advantage with the, with the logotype, because when that logo is there, you know, it's the whole room is kind of, uh, you know, centered towards that. Now it's Metallica. This this uh, sports arena, whatever it is, is now turned into Metallica world. Yes. Or Iron Maiden world. So the logo is important, too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I mean, we were sort of um, sharing clips and stuff before the episodes. And again, it's kind of not necessarily their stage per se, because they're playing at a festival. But it was very interesting to look at the uh, Metal Hammer show, uh, which went yeah. down in 85, which kind of is a classic kind of, you know, huge kind of stage here. And But it's not like they've got mics everywhere. Everyone's forward facing, you know, left and right sort of. Lars is behind, but um, I mean, I mean, a great show, isn't it? And and it looks fantastic. The band, they're so young as well. James is so fresh faced. Yeah, yeah. No, I love that one, and that, that is also like a good example for for this discussion because uh, back in those days, obviously, if you, they would come over here to Europe to play, they couldn't bring a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's expensive enough just to bring the band and uh, and and some instruments and gear. I don't even know if they would use their own speakers. Probably not. No. And. Uh, so a stage design at that point is, you know, it's, it's not going to happen. And still it works really well. I love that gig. I've seen it quite a few times and that's over YouTube. And I still, you know, oh, yeah. still really get to it. And uh, that's one with, if I remember correctly, it's with steady cans of light too. So it's just not really any moving lights, not even a strobe. No, no, yeah. no. Yeah. Not sure. I'm not sure, but because I know I saw 86. In 86, they had a strobe. <laughs> you know, that, it was kind of introduced and it works really well with those Master of Puppets crosses. Yeah, 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 yeah. Shadows, uh, like strobe shadows, if that's a thing. And it just looks very violent and and cool, I would say. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And, uh, I mean, you you mentioned the Master stuff as well. Like, that was the, you know, the first step into real stage design, having the crosses on the stage, you know, and the way they have the, the back flag with the crosses and then actual physical crosses on stage, which, you know, I'm sure they were thinking a little bit of Spinal Tap and, and Stonehenge and, it, you know, it was evoking a lot of those ideas. But in this... Yeah. Continue. Oh, no, just in this... Um, in, in Back to the Front yet again, they have a, a sketch from the collection of Cliff Burton. So it's basically an original conceptual sketch and diagram for the master stage, where in the original sketch, the um, crucifixes would be in front of the amps. And then what they did eventually was to put the amps beneath the stage, which left more room for the drum riser and the crosses. But, um, I mean, there's, there's such a kind of power and simplicity with the Master of Puppets cover. And I love the fact that they had the crosses on stage. It just it just makes it so vivid. 
Yeah, I mean that that cover was like, for me again with the, 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 just the power of the song and then that cover yeah. I, I loved because I was you know at, at that time at that age when you're I guess late teens or mid teens even mm-hmm. you're kind of you know Iron Maiden was nerdy at that point <laughs> you know yes. it was a little nerdy for me you don't want to go to a, to see uh, meet the new girls in the class and you're wearing a, an Eddie T-shirt it didn't really work. <laughs> I've I've started wearing them again now, obviously. Oh yeah, when you when yeah when you're older, you don't give a fuck. But yeah, at that age, yeah. you're right. Yeah, you, but, uh, seventh son of a seventh son isn't like the coolest thing, or anything. Yeah, no, not really. And then Metallica comes in, and I guess it's I think I attribute a lot of this to Lars, but I'm not sure if it's that way. But they have this kind of it's almost uh, what could you call it? it's like modern uh, modern design more than just you know the old uh, metal art mm-hmm. uh, and this. Starting maybe with with uh, master, but already kill 'em all is quite clean. It's you know it's uh, yeah yeah it is yeah you're right. It's no, I, I, his mom was in uh, in I know she was like um pre PR master in in like in the early days of PR in in Europe. Right. Okay. And I think he may have picked up something about that because he's good with these strong simple images. But oh, uh, again, yeah. I'm not. It's lost. Mm-hmm. Uh, master could be one, I guess, but uh, that cover is so cool, isn't it? Just... It really, it really is. And um, you know, in in this book, they have so many incredible photos from the Aussie tour. And one thing I literally just noticed as we're doing this podcast, I don't know if you noticed yourself, the crosses on stage were painted, so there's like weeds growing up the cross, uh, as if they were growing up a grave. It's very subtle, but it's a nice little touch. I thought about that too. They said about in front of the amps. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Because that was a huge trend, let's say about ten years ago, when when you could start playing more with uh, line signals and stuff. That uh, suddenly there were no amps. Yeah. So that was like kind of the opposite thing happened. And then you know bands like uh, Meshuggah, for example, my countrymen, they started putting up these kind of uh, it look the shape of a guitar rig, but it's a standing backdrop, you could say, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. kind of similar to what they did with the with the crosses. And I guess they couldn't have them in front of the amps because the amps those days were just blowing too much air. So yes. they would have fallen over, you know, and you can't carry around <laughs> actual stone crosses. They're going to be, you know, pep mache or whatnot. I wonder where those crosses are now. Like, I wonder, I wonder yeah. if all the guys got one or if some of the crew got them or if they were in a hard rock cafe somewhere, like, because they're, they're just iconic. They are, they are. They, they remind me a little bit. There's a, like a classic cross here next to me in, in Stockholm. There's a, like an old cemetery. And it has mm. uh, one of those huge, uh, a really huge cross just in the middle of it on an empty field. And, and that, you know, it reminds me of what it could be like to have one of the master's crosses. And bands have used this, used this for photographs, too. Several metal bands have been. You know, oh, cool. This. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. And uh, they, 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 uh, they obviously were with Ozzy as well at the time. And I think he was on the yeah. Ultimate Sin tour. And Ozzy, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know if you realize, he had a kind of his own Eddie. So he, so he had like a monster that he would come down the stage on. <laughs> I guess it didn't work as well as Eddie because... No, this, no. This is, it, it, I mean, yeah. I'm actually a big fan of that album. I, I've seen some interviews that it's supposedly the worst Aussie album. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I like it. I actually quite like that album as well. It has it, Is that the one that has Slayer of Giants? Or there's, isn't there a song called that? Killer of Giants sure. or something like that. Because that was the last Jakey e. Lee record, I believe. Oh, yeah, yeah. Then it should be on that one. Uh, Shot in the Dark, of course, is on that one. And I think that's a great song. Yeah, uh, Shot in the Dark. Yeah, Ultimate Sin. Um, Never, I think, is on there as well. Yeah, but on, on, I mean, the cover is such a metal cover. Like you mentioned before, like Metallica never really 
lapsed into that like you know ride the lightning is quite pragmatic almost with, with the ideas of corporal punishment justice is like referencing the constitution and black album has the the, the, the snake like you never really had any demons like i know jump in the fire originally has that kind of muscular beast but in none sure. of their official records like you know think of um like arguably hardwired is probably their most metal cover like just in terms of visuals yeah i guess i mean kill them all again is very metal kill in terms them all, yeah. of the content yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, content, yeah, but presentation maybe not really because it's white and red, very simplified. It doesn't look eighties. It doesn't no. really look very eighties. No, it doesn't. And uh, right, lightning. I was always puzzled. Why is the share so small? <laughs> yeah. I never, I never really got that. But uh, to bring it back to our to our topic, I mm. think you can see that in their stage sets too. That they're not so typically metal. Obviously, they have the cool shit that everyone wants with a budget like uh, pyro. Yes. Or uh, bombs going off and stuff, but they, they are not like uh, it's not a typical setup, yeah, especially when they do 3D. They can't have a background, right? Uh, so it's yeah. almost punk in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, just these guys are just standing here. We don't have outfits. We're not using uh, masks like Bruce would do for a uh, power slave, something like that. Yeah. So it's kind of less theatrical, but still, it doesn't feel. Um, I mean, what's the opposite of theatrical? Boring, uh, I guess. <laughs> or yeah, bland, yeah, yeah, bland. Yeah, yeah, still kind of. Has, Nerve. It still has a nerve to it, right? Without uh, overblown theatrics, or you know, we have uh, another a few another few countrymen of mine, Ghost. They're going around now. Oh, yeah, of course. They're doing the typical big metal '80s show thing, and they're doing it well. But uh, it's not really what Metallica does, does, is it? No, no, no. You're right. And I saw, you know, when I saw uh, Metallica most recently um, at uh, in in London, they they were doing, you know, Ghost were the main support, and it was kind of in stark relief. Really, they were going much more ornate and grandiose. You know, the what's his the Pope? Is that is that? I don't I don't really know Ghost that well. Um, but that's yeah, the main yes, guy. I'm different. There's Tobias is his name, or Tobias. Uh, right. And, uh, his, his... He's doing that as that's another nod to Maiden. I guess it's going to happen all episode, mm-hmm. but uh, he's doing that in reference to Eddie's different Eddie's or different eras of Maiden. So he's doing different frontmen. Mm-hmm. And I, I really like the first album. It sounds a lot like uh, Blue Eyes of Cult and Merciful Fate, basically King Diamond kind of thing, but simpler. Interesting. And uh, from then they just got big. And I mean, I got to respect that too. But I'm not going to be listening a lot to their song, their, their their new releases, or go to the shows or anything like that. But it's still cool. And I mean, yeah, it is. Weed, you know, it's cool that we have all these big bands. We had Meshuga breaking a lot of ground. We have Ghost, uh, Opeth, huge yeah. band too. So yeah, exactly. In metal, actually, in pop too, were quite big. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, uh, In Flames, right as well. Yeah, yeah, huge band. Mm-hmm. I listen to them a lot. Uh, in the early Metallica days too, uh, similar time there. Yeah, great guitar player. They, they, I mostly found out with them through guitar magazines and stuff like that. First of all, and um, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, real, real serious player. The Cardigans as well. Like you know, there's, there's some Swedish oh, yeah. bands out there. Like you know, Abba, Duh. <laughs> I mean, you know. Yeah, you remember that huge hit song? A guy called Clear Up. He did it t- together with uh, Robin. I think it was played in UK even more than than here in Sweden. Uh, it's uh, with every heartbeat. Yes, yeah, yeah. Robin's had a few tracks. Dancing on my own, of course. Also, you know, mm-hmm, Swedish. Mm-hmm. We wrote songs for um, for uh, Britney Spears and stuff. Also, back in the days. Right. Big, huge music export for some reason. We were only beat by you guys and uh, America. Ah, okay. We're the okay. third world, uh, and then our population is tiny. So I guess by capita. We should be the biggest. <laughs> intriguing, intriguing. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and then, you know, pushing forward then, obviously, post-Aussie, 
the band are just you know bigger and bigger and bigger and we, we get into sort of the, the the justice era where you know okay we're getting real props now like like with doris and stuff like that like what do you make of the justice era stages uh it's, it's kind of where i re- got my first real interest in in watching metallica live mm-hmm. and this was still before internet but you, you could get a hold of uh, seattle 89 oh yeah and that oh, was God. kind of talk talk of the town have you heard seattle 89 mm. lars was still great then, and you know all that kind of <laughs> yeah. stuff and and i watched it and it's, it's it's awesome i like it a lot i like the the, the way they built the stage with a kind of central staircase or yeah something like yeah that. and it's kind uh, of broken columns strewn across as well like yeah it's really cool uh, it starts up there with ulrich uh, in this in the beginning when he's playing the intro to blackened he's uh-huh. standing right up drums and then he's walking down and he's just in time to the mic you know to start with uh, blackened is the end yeah, and uh, yeah. it's a very cool big set. I think it doesn't get much better in a traditional uh, metal sense. For that yes. one, I saw an interview Lars also, and Lars said two words: Iron Maiden. <laughs> so now we're back <laughs> at Iron Maiden again. Yeah, yeah, you know that was that was his inspiration for that whole thing with the uh, with the uh, you know the uh, the big statue falling down and yeah, yeah, the spectacle, the right? Yeah. If you will, of the show. yeah, 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 absolutely, and um, you know, I, I think it's quite intriguing that you know those uh, the action figures that were so popular from Metallica. It's based on the Justice era, yeah. and you could e- you could even get a little set. I don't know if you saw that. You get like a Justice toy set to like put them on and stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, I've seen it, I've seen it, but that that type of stuff also depresses me a little bit about music because I've been in the music business a little bit, so you know, with that kind of selling, resorting to selling toys and all that kiss stuff. But uh, I would say those are they're, they're cool. Yeah, yeah. And it's I cool mean, that they use the 89, uh, you know. Uh, if you collect memorabilia, I guess it's, uh, I would be all over them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not, yeah, again, I'm not really in that memorabilia bag either. But, uh, you know, when, when stuff like that happens, it's, it's, it's kind of cool. And it, it, the, the actual Lady Justice statue as well, um, they replicated that really well. Like, I'm sure there's some, I can't figure anything off the top of my head, but I'm sure there's some cases in music where they've tried to pull, uh, you know, a figure or a mascot or an album art into reality and it just not got quite the proportions right. It doesn't quite look, but it's spot on on the 89 show. Like, the scales and the blood. Oh, man. I mean, it doesn't even look like charmingly, uh, I don't know, charmingly, uh, uh, what could you say? Uh, it, it doesn't, the effect of, of seeing it is like a real awe. Yeah, yes. It's not yeah. uh, this kind of you know, charming spinal tap, but not. It's no, real yeah, awe. Yeah. It's like, whoa, cool. You know, this, this thing could have fallen over Hammett. <laughs> and it's yeah, like, oh, definitely. This is wild. You know, it's almost wild. Yeah. Which, yeah, which yeah. is cool. You could perceive. And, and that, that's by that time also the sound was getting so good. Mm. Oh they had yeah. the same guy all the time. Are you familiar with this guy? Uh, uh, Big Mick, Mick right? Yeah. Yeah, he's from Birmingham. He is actually, but, yeah. And uh, when it, you know, whenever I hear his accent, it just uh, it takes me back. Like you know, and he never seems to yeah. lost that either. But yeah, he's been with them no. pretty much since day dot. I love it. Since day dot, and he's you know he's my my biggest hero in in that trade. You know, mm-hmm. working working live is just like sounds so good, sounds so oh. cool. So I, I did see a few interviews with him, and he said that in the earlier days he was. The aggression was there. The volume was there. All he was just housekeeping, trying to you know balance it and not have it go overboard. And then he said that as the systems got better, he could start choosing when do I put the extra leveling, you know, like mm-hmm. a boost gauge uh, for a guitar, certain guitar part or something like that. And I, I can feel when I was 89 that maybe he actually it's not his mix on the on the DVD. Of course, he mixes only the sound in the yes. in the hall, but. That's gonna be there anyway, you know. That it's gonna be in all mics and and so on. So it's 
still crucial and I think it sounds really good. I listen to it on Spotify too mm-hmm. because it's on Spotify mm-hmm. and yep. uh, it's just it's, it's a great live album. Really, what can you say? At the beginning there with Black and when they're walking in the oh my god the backstage, it's just you know. Ugh. Is it is it the be- is it the best live Metallica performance you reckon? I I think it might be actually Seattle '89. It could be yeah, uh, it could be really. I mean, I guess also if, as, as I listen to bands and as I listen to music, I like to hone in on different periods. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm maybe I've been lasting '80s Metallica for a while, then I'm gonna go to Sancta Anger and see what was that all about. And uh, also, your show has brought back some you know maybe maybe I should check out Dirty Window. <laughs> hey, yeah. I mean, that's the that's yeah. the one. That, I think even say anger haters don't mind dirty window. Like, I, I love that. Now this house is clean, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, I mean, yeah, the the uh, the Justice Era, Justice Stage again, just to have the that giant towering yeah. statue above that still doesn't dwarf the guys because they're just such beasts in their own right. Like, you know, maybe like I don't know, oh, Dave Murray or Adrian Smith. You, you sort of wouldn't look for them for the trees for Eddie, but I mean, James Hetfield is just a, a monolith in his own yeah. right, isn't he? Like, I mean, I've seen so many guys imitate him too because I've been working with smaller bands, right? And a lot of them are like trying to get that power stance that he has. Oh, yeah. He puts the mic a little bit too low, I think. So he has to kind of uh, loom over it, you know, and it yeah. makes him look very, very big, and he is big. And uh, at that time when he had that, he looked like a lion, you know. He <laughs> like, did. He did. He's yeah, a he stage show in himself, and you could just look at it. And then you have Jason, like over, over uh, energetic Jason on the other side, you know, uh-huh. just being the hype. Man. He's the hype man, really. Oh yeah, the conduit. Like, yeah, yeah, no, mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, yeah, uh, all, I mean, all of those guys as well. Lars is, you know, sticking his tongue out every now and then, and uh, every now and then, <laughs> and <I'm laughs> just spitting and. Nice and... Yeah, I think he spits in someone's mouth in Cunning Stunts as well. I'm pretty sure he kind of regurgitates. Yeah, me. I had it on VHS when I was a kid. I guess we'll get to that one later. But, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it's an interesting one. Oh yeah, oh, and, no, def- uh, I think definitely. I'm around the justice. They they are really getting like becoming a like as a monolith in 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 live metal. Mm, There's mm. not many gone there, and I guess this is also where you can really start differentiating them from, for example, um, let's say Maiden or Sabbath or anything that they're just bringing maybe a different energy and. And uh, I could see where they got the idea to later get into the 360 shape, because they're like, we don't need to, sh- we don't need to cover anything, you know. We don't have that type of theatrics that we need to. You can't see our backs because there's, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It's just all open, and I think it comes from them understanding how, how powerful they are. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, as we get into say the, the black album, there is that transparency, there is that 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 pride and that energy. You know, they didn't have. A supporting act really for, for, for the pretty much that whole tour they didn't need one they would play a video of them going throughout the day and talking to the crowd and stuff like that they had transcended metal they, they were just now one of the biggest bands in the world full stop true true and i think uh they were always headed headed that way somehow i attribute a lot of it to lars yes uh, definitely you know he's always heading places that's the the, the the vibe i get from him and uh, when I was younger, I was uh, annoyed by him, like most people are. But <laughs> and now it's just, you know, he's another hero, really, because it's just what without that drive, where would you have gone? Really, the engine of things. I think he was instrumental in saying, like, let's do a three six or something like that. Yeah, uh, no, just, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. completely. And it's, I mean, it's it's a cliche to say, like, you know, Lennon McCartney, they they complete each other, but Hetfield Auric. Like, they are two halves of one whole, aren't they? So different in their directions, but both geniuses in their own right. 
Yeah, I know. I drop both those cliches on almost a daily basis. You know, it's just uh, <laughs> this is central in music. I think you know, it's just a lot of cooperation and a lot of uh, back and forth. You know, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, they are so different, Hetfield and Ulrich. So I think that that helps. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, I mean, yeah, you know, one's the son of a philosopher, come tennis player, and. I mean, the other, I think his father was a truck driver, Jehovah's Witness, you know, but, but they're both bound by their love of, we're going to say it again, Maiden, like, and bands like that, like, you know. Well, uh, Maiden, Diamond Head, Motorhead, and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, and, that uh, stuff. Just yeah. being, uh, being in, I guess, the right-slash-wrong place at the right-slash-wrong time, mm-hmm. you know, made them, made them come together. And, and uh, I guess uh, also, the, if you're talking about lights, I think they were getting really good and creative with the, how they use the lights on um, on on the, around this time right uh-huh. uh, did they start that thing with in the thing that should not be had they started that kind of underlit thing on headfield in the verses or was that later i, I think that maybe it was around that but, era i couldn't say exactly but i think yeah it was around this time when they were just becoming a bit more you know, overtly theatrical with it certainly it worked so well i think and uh, and uh, big mick adds the mega delay on those verses which mm. is uh, that's and why I haven't covered that song in, in cover bands because I'm like we don't have the the sound guy to put the mega delay <laughs> on the verse. It's gonna sound good, you know. They hinge on that. They really do. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You wouldn't not doing it because it's uh, subconscious, uh, add, adding a subconscious effect. But it's so important for that slow and, and, and mm-hmm. uh, thing mm-hmm. and this big scream at the end. So they play I, that one on that show. Yes, yes, they do. And on the wherever I may roam tour, then I mean the stage. You know, it was an open stage, like we say, it was a diamond form. Number of singing and playing positions that basically allowed the band members to rotate around. Uh, two drum kits as well were set up on opposite sides of the stage with the ability to lower the kits down from below or raise to the stage itself, as well as the, you know, ability to move around to different positions. I mean, I don't, again, I don't know if Metallica necessarily pioneered this open stage, but I can't think of any many other bands that were doing it. And certainly when I... I remember when I got the Cunning Stunts DVD, it kind of was my choice at this stage idea rather than this time. Like, it was very... I thought it was very novel. Like, the ability to, to, to go from place to place, to take this mic, to take that mic, to go to this area of the stage or whatever. It's um, it, it's pretty clever, isn't it? It's a, it's a great way, yet again, Metallica, of connecting with their fans. They're so good at that. Yeah. It really is, and if you take that from a technical perspective, it's actually quite hard. Uh, I saw an interview just now today with uh, with Mick Hughes, uh, Big Mick, and he said that in the beginning there must have been blind spots, like places in the mm-hmm. audience where you actually couldn't hear a thing. Yeah. And he said that he just didn't, you know, they, it was new, they threw it up, and <clears throat> sorry, as far yeah. as I know, Metallica has always been very spontaneous. They get an idea and they're like, let's do this. Yeah. And everyone has to be on board. And uh, so I think he was on board, but it, it took him years to be able to handle it, to really spread the, the sound in the whole room. They play big venues, so it's already hard with an eight, 180 setup because you need an extra PA to, you know, for the further back. And if you have uh, everything comes from the middle, uh, it's, it's the same distance to, to most places. But uh, if you're on the back end, uh, you will hear bounces from the other wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know how he does it. It's kind of you know sound engineering magic, but apparently that was a big undertaking for for him, sound wise. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, and what, what did you uh, what did you think of you know another thing they debuted uh, in the nineties, early nineties, the Snake Pit, 
So, you know, for those who don't know, I'm sure you all know, but the section carved out effectively in the middle of the band stage itself where the fans could stand and watch them perform. You know, Hetfield had said, you know, whatever gets as close to the audience as possible is preferred for us. You know, we want to get as close as possible. And we succeeded with the snake bit in getting closer. Like, um, it's just crazy, isn't it? Especially when you see it from afar and you just see this gaggle of like 50 fans like in the actual middle of the stage. Like, uh, what a great idea. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's really good. I've done a lot of small shows and you can get a very special vibe in the room, a very direct uh, uh, connection between the, the, the crowd and the, and the band. And, mm-hmm. uh, you lose that when you get to bigger stages. I've heard numerous artists say that, okay, I love playing these big shows, but... Now the nearest fans are 25 meter away with the security and a big fence uh, in between. Yes. So to get the contact, it gets harder and harder. So I think that must have been, I'm quite sure that was the originator of that idea. Like, let's bring in that old club show and put them in a snake pit. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 I think it's very clever, very that- good idea. And- yeah, very clever. I mean, um, unfortunately, it's get it's got cancelled. So I was mo- supposed to see Pearl Jam uh, this summer at Hyde Park, and every summer Hyde Park do these big rock shows. And a few years ago, I went with my dad to see Tom Petty in 2017. And I, I, I'm sure you've been to similar stuff where they have like the Golden Circle and then like the circle in the circle. So it's like if you're if you're at the front, you're not even at the front. There's still about like a hundred foot between you and security guards and whatever. And you know that sort of stuff yeah. rolls me. I understand why it happens. Like you got to make money and stuff like that. But uh, to circumvent that, even for a few lucky people, and I love the fact that. I don't know if they did it on this tour, but certainly on the Worldwide tour, where they would go up, you know, into the nosebleed seats and give fans snake pit tickets and stuff like that. Like, brilliant. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. That's, you forget about those parts of stage production, too. It's a lot of things that are not, you know, overtly like this light or this uh, this kick drum mic or something like that, because stage production is about the whole thing, right? Yes. So that's, that's really a part of it, too, to consider, um, yeah, the audience and... Um, in this case, you know, bring bring some down. It's almost like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is the golden ticket. Yeah, definitely. Holy shit. Yeah, that's another good idea. It's, it's, they're just good at this kind of thing. You know, yeah. They're just really good at making the show. I think they have a fan's perspective for real. Every band says they have a fan's perspective, but I think they really do. There's one thing I remember. I'm not even a big fan of this band. They're, they're, they're obviously a giant band, Coldplay. And they did one yeah. thing for fans that I... F- I remember when I heard this when I was younger, this is on the X and Y tour, and I did think, this is a good idea. I don't know if it worked in practice, but what they would do is they would have disposable cameras on stage, and during performances, they would take photos of each other, and then they would throw it out into the audience, and then I guess one lucky person could develop the camera. Like, yeah. you know, it, it's it's a little bit more obtuse, perhaps, but it's still trying to do that thing, isn't it? Reaching out into the audience, trying to have that one-on-one kind of thing. Yeah, it's cute, and also they might upload it later or something like that. So Hopefully. it's smart from a PR perspective too. And I actually have three Coldplay CDs. It was a little face there in in high school. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the first, <laughs> first three, yeah. Oh, the first yeah. three, yeah, yeah. They're the probably ones. So X and Y. Oh no, the first, yeah, is that that's uh, pa- parachute. The third parachutes, right? Parachutes. Yeah, yeah. Parachutes, I think. Mm-hmm. And that one has great song. Spies, great song. It does, yeah. It's I'm, just like um, good bridge. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. right. It's well written pop. Yeah, um, in my place no, is quite a good song. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, you still know, good. Still good. Yeah, that, n- yeah. Now, I mean, to be fair, Coldplay are probably almost probably about as big as Metallica. I'd say in terms of like they can go anywhere yeah. and sell out the biggest arena in that country. Like, yeah, 
Yeah, I would think so. But I wouldn't go. Oh, I would no. go for another Metallica show, but I wouldn't go for a Coldplay, no. <laughs> no, no, definitely wouldn't go. But, uh, but no, I mean, yeah, shout out Coldplay, none the same. So, um, yeah, on this tour again, you know, you guys have seen this stage set up, and this is kind of what they continued with henceforth. And probably the best recorded example of it, of this kind of era-ish, is Cunning Stunts. And, um, I mean, yet again, that stage is ginormous, isn't it? There's so many corners that they're running back and forth from. It's it's a big one, and uh, it was uh, an early VHS for me. I bought it online. Uh, the VHS come home because at that time you still couldn't find these big shows on on YouTube. I think oh, yeah. YouTube may have in the starts or something. It may have been uh, coming up. But... YouTube's like two thousand and four, five, I think, or oh, something like that. Yeah, quite so a while later. Yeah, five years prior. Maybe I bought it in the early two thousands or something like that. But mm-hmm. uh, it was a uh, that one. I love that one. I think it's good. And uh, like as you addressed in an earlier episode, the house lights are on in the beginning. Yes. So yeah. that it brings back again that kind of uh, brutal simple live show uh, that i love and have taken part in so many times like there's no theatrics there's they don't even do uh, ecstasy of gold there's no ecstasy of gold no. what about the um yeah and what about the end of the show as well where the where it all crashes down and, right. and i that love that that's uh uh, with the, um, I was thinking about one thing also when James was set on fire, but that was co- yes. Earth. Oh yeah, we didn't mention that. Yeah, of course the the Montreal incident. Yeah, fucking hell. Yeah. Yeah, and there was some incident also with the with the cunning stunts. Uh, some guy bleeding fake blood, but it turned out not to be fake blood or something like oh, that. Right. Was, okay. uh, I think they pushed uh, they pushed the limits of what they do on stage, which is uh, it makes it good. I was uh, I wasn't even expecting it when I saw the VHS. So for me, it was you know no one had told me that the set is going to explode and <laughs> <Yeah>. whatnot. <laughs> so it was great. Yeah, yeah, very cool though. Yeah, very and, different. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, again, quite landmark. And I love the fact towards the end as well that they do the throwback set in Cunning Stunts, and it, it's the you know it's contracted like you know for most of Cunning Stunts they're running all over this arena. I think it's in Texas, yeah. Fort Worth, or whatever. And then the final few songs there's like that one solitary light bulb and a drum kit. And uh, I think Foo Fighters did that when they played Wembley. They'll you know the four of them will get together and play acoustic guitars for a bit like that. But that that's a nice touch, isn't it? That is a bit of stagecraft. Yeah, it's, it's also well like when Paul McCartney did that um, uh, station live show and he walks out into the crowd oh, yeah, to do yeah. a black mm-hmm. uh, on his own. Yeah. It's up the lyrics too. It's very fun. <laughs> it's very fun to watch. There's no prompter out there, right? Oh no. So, uh, oh no. Yeah, and I like when bands do this. You know, take a little bit of a risk, a little bit of a chance, and uh, uh, like, like like as we said, even with the pyro and with the effects, it's kind of you know they're they're risking shit and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Another comment I had on that effect that, you know, might be worth noting is that they have a separate PA system only for audio effects, like big booms and stuff like that. Right, right. There's a separate speakers, separate amps that are not even with the music at all. There's mm-hmm. just to make big, huge impact, you know. So if you imagine kind of stunts and you're there, you have that too. You know, it just comes out of really nowhere, you know, and it's, uh, it must be a great effect, yeah, definitely. I'm just on. I was just looking at cunning stunts on Wikipedia. Obviously, everyone knows it's a spoonerism on uh, stunning cunts. And uh, yeah. yeah, apparently, Caravan. Um, I don't know if you've heard of Caravan. They're a progressive rock band from the seventies. They're they're quite they're quite big over here. They had an album called Cunning Stunts, which was just the same oh, play on words. Yeah, in nineteen seventy five. Um, so they they're actually quite a good band. They're not that popular, but they're kind of you know sort of 
Pink Floyd esque. So I didn't realize they played with that, but that's quite interesting. Okay. But but um, yeah, cunning stunts, and uh, I mean, I love the cover of cunning stunts as well. All of them kind of exhausted after the show. Uh, it just kind of it evokes that sense of visceral attack, I suppose. You know. Yeah, yeah, you could really see what they're trying to do. It's mm. very obvious. It's not a problem. It's like they because they're actually doing it. You know, they're they're achieving what they're trying to do. They're oh, yeah. trying to make it a raw, I guess. And it's it was the nineties, so obviously you couldn't do dragons and, and <laughs> the, you know that they ever did dragons. But you know, what I want to mean, they're trying to move as far away from that as possible, and I think they they succeed quite well. Yeah, I mean, the closest they got to dragons is is Dragonfire, which had mentioned at Enter Sandman, but but that's about it, really. And even that's kind yeah. of in the fantastical dreamscape world, so you kind of given license. <laughs> Lyrically, they Hetfield is sometimes he's in that little bit of that fantasy realm, you know, metal mm-hmm. metal fantasy realm. Not too much. No, no not he's really. not he's not Steve Harris, is he? I mean, he doesn't necessarily no. go go down go down those directions. But to be fair to Steve as well, he's as much into the historical stuff as he is into the kind of you know magic and sorcery and and, and stuff like that. Yeah. With Maiden, they always said that they didn't want to write about their own lives. They didn't find it as interesting, you know. Because most modern music does that, right? You know, you write about your hardships and falling in love and whatnot. And Maiden didn't want to do that. So. No, and I no. Guess... I mean, there's not. Is there a Maiden ballad? I'm trying to think of one. Like there a... are like a couple. There's a, a few slower ballads. songs that they've done. Yeah. I like them. I like Remember Tomorrow from first album. It was covered by Metallica. And yes, Strange it was. World on top is even more ballad Strange World. is rumored to have been written by another member that was kicked out and then they bought the rights for it. So it's a bit oh, of a different song. And then they have a song called Prodigal Son and so forth. The only mm-hmm. one ballad that I find a bit cringy is because they tried to make like a November Rain, Mom, I'm Coming Home type thing in the early 90s. It's called uh, Wasting Love. And that one is... Oh, yes. Crazy. Yeah. And isn't there a song around that time as well? I mean, talking about Maiden writing about real life, uh, Weekend Warrior? Oh yeah, that Which song is, more, is horrible. It's, it's about like football so, hooliganism. It's yeah. not. It's like yeah, it's really out there. Obviously, they're all big footy fans and like up the irons and stuff. But um, yeah, culture. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Um, there's that. Um, oh fuck! One of my favorite Maiden albums is Dance of Death, which was when really? I That's- yeah. Yeah, Strange I know. Choice. I know people Strange don't really pick choice. that album. It was it was one of the ones I was getting into when I was younger. Uh, I really like Face in the Sand, No More Lies, Rainmaker, um, Passchendaele. But there's, I think there's, I think the, the song that closes that album, I can't remember what it's called. It's like I say what I want. Ah, da, 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 da. What's that song called again? But that's kind of ballady. Journeyman, the Journeyman. Yeah, Journeyman. yeah. yeah that's, that's a good ballady, and that, that one's good. They, I think they nail it because it sounds fairly honest in in like yes. the sound of it very british too and uh, they Hell take yeah. so much pride in, in being brits which they i do. find you know <laughs> equally entertaining and uh, and right you know they should <laughs> yeah they shouldn't have an american singer you know it's a new wave of roots. british heavy metal you know what i'm saying but um yeah. but but yeah no no american singer wouldn't just wouldn't work with uh with made but yeah there was a rumor to take in joff tate from he's a great singer from queen strike but mm-hmm. uh, they just couldn't do it because he's, he's not a brit no, 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 no. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, that, it's why Blaze happened. I mean, shout out to Blaze Bailey, but he was he was never a right yeah, fit. I'm but. Those albums, but I'm also into Load and Reload. It takes some time to uh, to accept when uh, when the bands go get haywire a little. But, uh, That's for me. It's it's nice, you know. It's so nice to <laughs> discover. The so you're saying it's funny you're saying Virtual Eleven is like their Reload kind of. It is. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's both similar timing and similar. Yeah, uh, I guess Virtual Eleven is actually. I mean. 
I don't know. I love Maiden so much. I like a lot of songs. On it's that okay, one. Virtual that is- Eleven. I don't hate it. I think Future Real is absolutely fire. Love that song. Oh, yeah, I played it live, and it's so fun to play live too. And uh, mm. I like that album a lot musically. But if you look at the whole production, it sounds weird. And I mean, in that case, Reload is better because Reload still sounds awesome. It's just that it's so watered down yeah, at that point. Yeah. It's so down. No, no, I'm yeah. a much bigger load. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'd say. Yeah, if it's if it's a choice what between those like two. That field solo album. That's the vibe I get from it. It's like his his album of like maybe I've maybe I shouldn't be. I mean, he's kind of starting to contemplate in a way like uh, about his alcoholism and everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I find it. I find it it's an interesting listen. It's a bit too long. That's the problem with it. Is, yeah, it is. And, and and weirdly, on the early uh, releases of those albums, I think Load they boast there's a sticker that says like 77 minutes of music or something like that, and it's like, why is this too much? Like, I don't know. The problem back then, every CD was around 80 minutes there yeah. for Island. Uh, I don't know. It's just to get more for your money, something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the reasoning. I like 45 minutes. That's oh, a good yeah, album. yeah, yeah, yeah. An, an album doesn't really need to be long on an episode of television, like uh, kind of around that time. Sgt. Pepper, it couldn't be more than 35. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. no, Beatles albums are really short. Yeah, yeah, and, and you're right. Yeah, they're just the best. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't want three more fillers on it. So. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. So, uh, you know, as we go through then into the 90s, as we say, you know, the band had kind of established... Uh, this expansive realm that they had in the, in the live sphere. I mean, um, again, there are only a few shows, but the the S and M stage design. What what do you make of that? Uh, now I'm I got the it's the second S and M stage in my mind. So I'm trying to remember how the old one looked because I had it on CD. Yeah, I didn't really. I think I watched it once or twice, but uh, I think I remember being. I was 13 at the time, so I just remember being impressed. It looked cool to me, and it's like, yeah, they make this work. Uh, I, I was already then thinking a little bit about audio, so I was thinking, how do they make the bleed of the drums work here? Mm. You know, because they, uh, for the other musicians to hear themselves, so he's plays quite loud. Lars is playing loudly, so I think the overall thing was just impressive to me, and I should rewatch it. But what do you make of it? Yeah, the same, really. I mean, in terms of a design design, they're not reinventing the wheel. Obviously, they are in orchestral halls, so they have to adhere to all the seating of all the different players and stuff like that. But I do like the way that they're kind of in amongst it. I do agree that the SNM 2 design is a bit more interesting because the musicians yeah. are, like, facing the band a bit more explicitly. You get some really cool moments of eye contact, especially between James and some of the percussionists. And obviously in SNM 2 as well, uh, you know, they play together in a more intimate way, in a more collaborative way, like in um, Iron Foundry and obviously anesthesia with scott pingle and stuff like that but um but yeah no i I like the designs again they were kind of not hamstrung's the wrong word but they had to play it a certain way they couldn't do the round so to speak um because (laughs) it just wasn't designed that way they have to rebuild the whole place so um yeah Yeah, i actually prefer the original snm quite a bit but uh, i think it's just because uh, uh, maybe i think it's a little bit about james hetfield's voice works better for me on that one Mm -hmm. uh, especially no cover and uh, I like the set. I don't know. What do you make of all the load songs? You have to skip them when you're, when you're listening to us. <laughs> Not it's necessarily. A, I, There's a few. There's a few. I think Hero of the Day sounds fantastic. Um, so, you know. And you still don't like it. Though, I right? still, I just you can't deal work. with it. Yeah. It's just, it, it doesn't it's matter. Awesome. Yeah. It's, it's like, so- I don't know. It's just, it, it's the same meal. We're in a different restaurant, but it's the same ingredients. Yeah. It's been cooked by the same person. I just... I just don't like the taste of it. I don't know. It just kind of feels a little, uh, little bloated for me. But no, I think I think they made a lot of the right choices there. And uh, you know, 
of course they're going to play what was then the new album in the same way that we you know got some hardwired tunes and uh death magnetic stuff as well like i love day that never comes in snm2 which obviously like most people did you see at the cinema snm2 i did not i should have but i was just lazy to get the tickets right and then it was sold out and that yeah. was the story really yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i mean that's all she wrote yeah Mm-hmm. But, uh, you? but yeah, I did, I did, yeah. And um, I mean, I don't. We're still waiting. At the time of us recording this, people, we're still waiting for a, a you know, kind of them to uh, announce an actual release in terms of a home release. Like, you know, really want to see that, see that in person with all the uh, special features and such. But yeah, we've we've done episodes on SNM two as well. So go back and uh, you know check those out. We had uh, Todd on who uh, who went to the show and you went on to the second night, maybe first night. I can't really remember. But um, yeah, as we as we push on now again, I mean the uh, Madly Lang with the World Tour, which you know again it, it it's the round people. <laughs> it's it's the mics all yeah. over. It, it, it's that sort of idea. And um, any thoughts on this stage setup from this era? Uh, I haven't I haven't seen too much of it, but mm. on this era I was already working for Live Nation, and back then they were EMA Telstar, I think. But anyway, Live Nation, mm. you know the the big concert arrangers. Okay, yeah. I did a few big shows, uh, Smashing Pumpkins, Nine Inch Nails. Oh wow! And one more, it was really good. You could see the band too because it didn't work during the the show. And a friend of mine did um, Mad in Anger with you, mm. or with the world, or or maybe it was Sick of the Studio one of those tours yes. and he, I remember him just saying he was a drummer friend and I remember him just saying like it's unfair you don't even have to touch Lars's cymbal and it blasts the whole room <laughs> you know because it's so well mic'd up yeah and like compressed and stuff so that's really all I recall from that particular tour that my friend worked with uh, setting up Lars's drums together with his tech and uh, he, he was amazed how easy it was to make them sound huge and you know the band are band are always innovating in certain ways, as we keep saying. And um, you know it's intriguing that here was the first concert where pretty much every performance was recorded and sold online. Uh, you know the download series that they did in in FLAC and MP3 formats. Like, uh, what, what did you think of that? Because that was such a kind of fu to people who had seen their Napster stance, wasn't it? Like, it really was an embrace of digital music. Oh, yeah. I mean, you've been talking about Napster before, so I shouldn't linger too much on it. But I mean, I, I was uh, I was not in the eye of the storm as I was not involved, but I was right around that time. You know, I was when I tried trying to figure out how much do I like this band. And, and I was also like a bit annoyed by the whole uh, Napster thing. And mm-hmm. even though Lars, he was right in the end, mm-hmm. most oh. people would have. Oh, he's completely right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, yeah. And, and uh, yeah, he's kind of like, uh, you know, Nostradamus over there, really. Like, no one could really see what he was saying. But uh, And I'm just on the uh, Wikipedia page of Madly in Anger with the World Tour now. Apparently, uh, the tour was especially popular in Scandinavia, where stadium dates were held, what? which caused Metallica's entire back catalogue to appear on the record charts. All right, there we go. That's yeah, cool. not surprising. Uh, but... yeah. I bought a lot of uh, metal in those days. I think it's less now, but uh, uh, for uh, what was I thinking about again with um, um, that tour? Yeah, okay, the, the, the recorded stuff. I think that's notable too. I had it, have it in my notes that they really have an abundance of, of Metallica material online, right? Uh-huh. It's just so resourceful. You, you could, yeah, if you have an hour to kill, you could just watch different live versions of Metallica songs. Oh, frankly, and, uh, yeah. And that started right around then, uh, I guess. Pretty much around then, yeah, yeah, like like a kind of proactive collection of that. I mean, you know, I don't know if you've seen on their YouTube channel every Monday now, they're debuting a whole live show, like professionally shot. Yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah I saw one, uh, Denmark um, 2009, 
which was interesting to me because I was not big on Death Magnetic. At that time, I was pretty much off Metallica. Mm. So it was nice to go back and see what were they about. They played Trapped Under Eyes. Uh, pretty cool. Yes. They played yep. Holy and Dao, I think, was in there too. Uh-huh. Uh, a really pretty cool set list, and uh, I like the way they compose set lists. They, I think there's always a little bit of an idea in there. It's not just random songs. You know? Oh, no. Lars like, is a fan, isn't he? Lars knows what's been played when, and yeah. you know, we, we did this 10 years ago. We can't open with this, etc. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, that's that sort of stuff, and also like this seems to be a vibe of the shows. This show, this or at least partial vibes. You know, this part of the show is a raw part. Here we're gonna do uh, battery and uh, black, and I don't know. You know, it's a, mm-hmm. uh, different small themes within the set list, but that could be me imagining, like uh, over analyzing it. Too, I don't know. I don't think so. No, no, no. I, yeah, I think they definitely consider that. Uh, certainly, Lars, Lars does. But um, yeah, just looking at the tour as well. Yeah, they played Sweden May thirtieth, two thousand and four. They played Gothenburg. They played Ulevi. Am I saying that right? The stadium? Ulevi. Ulevi, yeah, which is a really cool stadium, actually. It's got a kind of Huge. convex curve to it. I really I really quite like the design of it. And, uh, you know, designed for the 1958 World Cup and has since, you know, hosted loads of giant events. One of the biggest stadiums in the Northern Nordic countries. Total capacity of 75,000. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, coincidentally, I, I'm from Stockholm, but coincidentally, first time I saw Metallica was in Ulevi. Oh, First cool. show. It was a 180 show. It was not 360. It was uh, with the big four lineup. Oh, nice. So what was that? Yeah. What, 2010? Is that right? 2007. 2007. 2007. Yeah. Oh, no, no. Okay. Oh, sorry, no, 2011. 11. 11. Okay, 11. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I've done a really good That was my first actually seeing them live, you know, not watching Cunning Stance or not, not watching um, YouTube. And uh, I remember being blown away from really the first note. It was like, this sounds so huge. And I had just seen Slayer and Megadeth. Uh, yeah. But it was just, there was no question. I wasn't even going to compare who was, who was the best band around. And uh, It just sounded really good. And then I heard subsequently that sometimes in Metallica's contract, there's some details about how loud the opening acts can be. And they oh, use only parts of the PA system, you know, because you want the big effect of Metallica hitting the first note. Well, it's, so funny, I, I it, it's funny you mentioned that, actually, because I have heard that because I did an episode a while ago where I went through all the Metallica support bands that they've had on tour. And Caius, uh, Josh Homme from Caius, said that exact thing. And uh, he okay. said, yeah, Metallica turned them down. I mean, they're in the notoriously loud band, that kind of desert rock generator yeah. riff band, great band. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm a- yeah. You can sort of understand, but I don't know, it's kind of a bit like, you always hear these old stories back in the day where bands would treat support bands like shit, and I'm not saying Metallica's necessarily doing that there, they want to kind of keep some of the prestige for them, but uh, but yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah, it is, but also it makes sense from all kinds of angles, really, because you're not tiring out the, the audience's ears, mm-hmm. eardrums are true, too true. sore by the time it comes on and also they are the main act and something has to be different uh, they brought the PA system there most likely they brought all of it and then they can kind of choose what parts to borrow out right it's yeah. within their rights okay. but it of is. course if this layer before Metallica I don't know I don't know if this was the case at that time but it did sound a bit thin and they usually mm. have a good life so I don't mm. know but great show great shows uh, not the best one I've seen with them but uh, really cool and I think those in these early 2000s, coming up to 2010, 11, it's, uh, we were always talking about their playing form, too. Like, are they good now? Can they play now? Can Lars play? And uh, I think they've been getting better. Like, uh, steadily since Sankt Anger, they've been getting better live. And last time I saw them was very good performance-wise. 
So the next tour then was the World Magnetic Tour. And this was interesting because their stage here was designed by Mark Fisher. I don't know if you've heard of this guy, British architect. Okay, I have not, but he's, that's interesting. Please. Yeah, he's, he's, he's very famous. He designed the Pink, Pink Floyd Wall Tour. Um, he designed uh, loads of Rolling Stone tours. He's basically the guy who designed stages. Like he designed um, U2's Claw that they had on their 360 tour, their 2000, the Zoo TV tour as well, Madonna, Lady Gaga. He created the show that was in the Millennium Dome, um, which is obviously now the O2 Arena. But um, but yeah, he worked with the band as well on the Death Magnetic show, which is so cool. And, uh, you know, unfortunately he passed away uh, quite a few years ago in 2013. But um, the, you know, what a lot of people think about with this show, uh, John, are the, the huge coffins that, that adorn and rise. Like, uh, they're pretty magnificent right yeah this is a, it's a cool idea and it's just the right level of uh, i would say um a drama to a to a metallica stage set mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's still within their kind of clean clean aesthetic i would say yes yeah oh yeah yeah quite minimal but but very effective yeah. like you know yeah quite just uh, overpowered i like that cover too. it's a cool cover love the cover it was the one I the most about the album when it came out because i really didn't like that album but uh, i've gone back and it's a couple of really good songs on there all nightmare long i think a great song yeah i love that song uh, it's mm-hmm. cool too so, uh, and yeah they just uh, they've been doing that and that must be again uh, an iron maiden idea that they bring a little bit of the the concept the art concept of the album up on stage yes there was no no snake on the black album but uh, they had the snake pit. Right? They had the snake pit. Yeah, they did have the snake pit. I mean, there was no, there was no blood and semen on on the load and reload tours. But you know, no, that's true. Those are the least, my least favorite album covers. I, they're not. They don't really <laughs> grab my attention. I don't know. It's just, it's just a photo shoot from a random art exhibition to me. Yeah, what's his name? Andre Serrano. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah him, but it doesn't work for for a metal cover album. A uh, metal album cover. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, it's uh, it, I mean, it's it's memorable. I like the colours. I like I like the kind of shades of orange and and red. But um, I mean, I, 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 we need to stop introducing it because I'm just going to talk about Iron Maiden again. But I've only seen. Yeah, them, I don't mind that. <laughs> I've only uh, I've only seen them once. I saw them when I was 14 uh, on the Matter of Life and Death tour in right. in Birmingham. And they play the. They yeah, play they, the play, whole album. they play the whole album. Yeah, and it's similar oh, to how Death Magnetic, you know, they brought the coffins. They had, I think, they had a tank on stage, and it was all, all right. war themed, and it was a great lineup actually. Trivium were the main support, who I, I still really like, but I was very much into at the time on the Crusade tour. And um, Steve Harris's daughter was in a band, and they played as well, which is like nepotism gone wild, right? Like, but. <laughs> So and he's doing that now again with his son and his, I guess, mediocre metalcore band, Raven Age. Oh um, yes, oh. I've heard him speak about them on Eddie Trunk. Yeah, Raven Age. Yeah, yeah I've not listened to them. But it's Steve. He can do whatever he wants. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> he's it's, beyond it's the limit. Clearly, yeah, it's very clearly. Lauren Harris it was more of a pop rock thing, was it? Kind of. Yeah, she had uh, her main guitar player was very Zach Wild esque. He was a bit of a kind of squealy shredder. But yeah, it was that kind of. Cindy Lauper kind of thing, kind of uplift, but um, but but yeah, when I saw them there and like you know on this World Magnetic tour, they're they're bringing that idea onto the stage, and um, you know yet again we have the mics all over the place, uh, you know we have the the, the screens as well, like on certain places, like I'm just looking at a picture now of them in Peru, where they've got a more typical stage behind them, they've got the big blow up diamond screens, but um, they knew what they were doing here. 
And, you know, yeah. I think I think this tour was it was 10th highest grossing of 2009, fifth in 2010. Overall, it grossed 217 million across 164 shows. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, they are the biggest live band on Earth today. I'm not sure, but I saw some some uh, by some standards. They are the biggest live band. Makes sense. In, in the world. Yeah, yeah, I think maybe you two are up there as well, but but yeah, yeah, it's probably around that yeah. around that thing. Yeah, maybe Springsteen. I know he doesn't necessarily tour as much as these guys, but um, but yeah, yet again they just kept going and going and going, and then you know finally we get onto the the most recent tours, then the Worldwide tour. Which what did you make of this idea for the stage? I liked it a lot. Uh, I went on. Uh, you had, a, I think, you had an episode about that with Emil, another your other Swedish guest. So That's far, right. Yeah, yeah, Emil Wickman. Yeah, shout out that guy. Yeah, went. To, well, it was two shows, so it could have been the other one. Okay, that was the best one I'm seeing with them, and they they kind of played more new stuff than I'm used to. I'm used to Metallica doing these, you know, fan fan dream set lists, but here they brought in six songs, I think, from Hardwired, something yeah. like that, and it worked uh, really well. I, I like that format of Metallica, and they're kind of pushing a new album and. Uh, I hadn't seen them on a 360 stage before. That mm. was the big thing. I've only seen them in 180. It was by request. Was the other one I saw oh, in yeah, between yeah. this and Ullevi. And just to to experience that, I was really just a few meters from Hetfield um, during Nothing Else Matters. And that was a, like a sublime experiment, yes. experience. I would have to say. Was, you could <laughs> see that he was actually still honest about this song after all those years. He's not mm-hmm. just pulling it out because he has to. It was still kind of. It was, a, I would say, a very good setup because you could get so close. We didn't have a special ticket or anything, you know. No, yeah, I, I saw them on this tour. Um, well, I saw them twice. I saw them in the stadium, like I mentioned, but I actually saw them in Birmingham. Um, and uh, it was, when was it? It was October 30th, 2017. So, God, almost almost three years ago now, which is kind of baffling. But, yeah, I was on the Unforgiven experience, which got us kind of premium access inside. And I got on the rail, and Hetfield was in front of me as well. And he, he does, like, little dad jokey things. Like, he'll, he'll have, like, a prop in his mouth that makes him look like he's missing a tooth or something, and he'll grin at everyone. And, you know, he, he's got a very playful uh, essence to him and yeah and i thought it was terrific as well and there's uh, there's a good article online actually um where they interviewed dan braun who um is was the set and stage designer and he was just basically saying quote this band doesn't stop touring in 30 years and they sell albums like crazy when they announced worldwide they wanted to take the live shows to a whole new level i did some sketches and showed them to lars and he was very excited he made me promise not to show them to anyone else until he get the rest of the band to see them james said go for it and uh, one of the things he speaks about as well john that was cool was the first ever autonomous indoor drone swarm. So these 99 micro drones that are like fireflies from off into flame. Oh, I, I didn't see that. Should okay. I have seen that on the show I saw? Yeah, I, I mean, it. maybe they just didn't do it for all shows. I don't know, but I, I certainly saw it in mine, yeah. Yeah, but of course you have to mention the, the boxes, the megaton boxes. Yeah, which know. are just kind of... They put everything in there. Not only is the artwork from Hardwired there with the faces, you know, groaning in agony, but um, they, they, it, was some, it would be like artwork from the past and it would be like all memorabilia and stuff. Like One video and things like that. Mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. It's just those things as, uh, in the crowd, you see them and, and you think that's nice. That's, that's cool. But when I saw an interview about them, they, you know, the weight of them are up in megatons and yeah. the consumption of, of they even had to rearrange the PA, how it's set. Because the weight was so severe in the middle from those boxes, so there's you know it's thousands of tons of, of material to do that thing that looks nice. But it just it puts perspective, I think, on the whole 
how big the Metallica stage production really is in terms of uh, workload and, and costs. Like, they put a lot of money. And they had the uh, the drums as well, the drum cubes. Yeah, yeah, the drum cubes. I don't know. Do, do you know if they actually play them, if they're triggering something, or if it's just a, a, a visual I show? I got the sense they were playing them, but, yeah, I, I don't know. Really, like, yeah, maybe. Actually, they are quite real. They don't use click tracks a lot. I've seen Lars do it a couple of times. He do, he has to do it for S&M mm-hmm. uh, to follow this. But they don't really. They That's another thing I like about Metallica, uh, that they play, you know, they really play live. It's one, two, three, four, and, and here we go. And oh, yeah. Tempo shifts all the time. It shifts like crazy, but it's it's cool. I'd rather have it that way than, you know, Disney on Ice type of production. Yeah, they're up there. I mean, you know, there's there's quite a famous few gaffes as well. I can't remember. What they, they're playing at some f- festival in the mid-2000s, and that bit in Fade to Black was... And I think the, the roadie hits the wrong pedal, and it gives, like, a really wimpy tone, and James laughs... And there was that, there was that bit comes, when James like fell through one of the uh, drops in the floor as well and hit his guitar and you know it's like you say yeah. they're out there like yeah and they restart songs too I've had friends that have seen them when they had to restart fight fire fire a couple of times and uh, also there's online there's a video where they restart justice two times and it's just it's a bit that's charming you know that's still charming it is it is yeah it, and it proves that this thing is a going live you know and a lot of a lot of drummers that I talk to give large shit, but I'm still t- telling them like he can play on huge arenas, and you probably can't yeah. because it's just a different. You have to really know how to do that too. It's not only about having great wrist technique and so forth. I mean, he has he brings the energy into it. And uh, going back to Seattle '89, his drum solo there is really cool too. It's not mm. technical at all. It's just complete ferocity. Really. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and still a musicality, yeah. a soulfulness to it as well. Yeah, um, that, yeah. that he has completely. Yeah, I, I mean, Lars Slander again. It it kind of like I understand where people are coming from. I completely disagree, and it and it kind of baffles me. Um, but I'm much. I just I just I kind of mildly adore Lars. I just think he's a fantastic guy, and his enthusiasm as well for music. Still, he's he's still yeah. that that kid, you know, in in the Diamond Head parking lot. Like he, he's still there. Like you know, uh, regardless of where he's come to. So I mean, that kind of brings us up to date, really. Obviously, the band were yeah. going to go to festivals this summer, which have all been cancelled because of um, Corona and and play all these different shows and different ideas. But I mean, is there anything you'd like to see in the future, Metallica? Do like I know that's a bit of an open ended question, but has anything ever yeah. crossed your mind or I, I, something must have crossed my mind at some point? But all I can think of right now is that they are so spontaneous, so you kind of don't want to know mm-hmm. anything, you know. Or, you know, you don't really want to make an order of uh, let you guys should try this. Yeah. It's almost nicer to be in a perspective of they're just going to come up with something. It's going to be something new probably. And uh, I don't know what I would want to see. Maybe I would have liked to see those festival sets. That would have been nice Definitely. because they promised two different sets. So that would have been, what, 40 songs maybe? Mm-hmm. Adding the two shows together. And then like a 40-song Metallica set list i'm a sucker for set list i look them up on set list FM oh yeah all oh, the time yeah going back in time too and going back to old tours and stuff and i find it very interesting how they put the set together really? and uh, what else could it be maybe open with blackened again it's such a good intro mm-hmm. that the reverse thing you know i don't think they play it great these days but still just to get that that seattle feeling that would be nice too and yeah 
it's open ended. Just as your question, you know, it's kind <laughs> yeah. of open. They could, they could go anywhere. But I would follow it. I would I would check it out. It's just such a good live band. And it was a pain for me to admit at one point that they are better live than Iron Maiden. <laughs> you know, my big favorite. <laughs> yeah. I just had to admit. Yeah, they are. They are better live. I mean, yeah, I mean, Maiden have some, you know, you've got Yannick Gares throwing his guitar in the they, air and stuff like that. Awesome, but it's just that Metallica is even better, you know, and they mm. just, uh, for me, it's interesting that they switched around more and, you know, I guess more unique in, in terms of ideas uh, on how to do it, whereas Maiden is now, uh, it's Maiden, it's conservative Maiden, it's always good. Yeah. But uh, Metallica brings more energy into the room. I, I haven't been shirtless in a concert last 10 years, except for that one, <laughs> the last Metallica one. <laughs> wow. <laughs> was, what an yeah, accolade. I sang, sang the whole show, you know, and it was, it was just great. Yeah. So um, We have a lot of it. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, guys, I mean, let, you know, let us know what you think about um, this history of Metallica's, this potted history of Metallica's stage designs. Any any ideas you've got as well, comment down below. Get in touch with me, MetallicaPod at gmail.com. Uh, of course, we're at MetallicaPod as well. And I mean, you know, consider like the 30th anniversary shows, for example, where there's no pirates. I mean, okay, there's loads of guests and stuff like that, but there's nothing going on stage-wise. It's, it's very basic. And it, that's one of the greatest shows I've ever done. Like, it's just what, what a lit- litany of treats. Like, All about the songs and the, and the yes. guests. It's, uh, it's awesome. It's the right way to do it. The right way to celebrate 30 years, I would mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're coming up on 40 years soon. We are, we are. They've been going on and on. I know, it's insane. Yeah, it's absolutely maddening. They're not that old. They're not like Richie Blackmore, Ian Gillen. No, you're right, because they, you they started so young. So you are, you think they're older than they are, really. Is Hetfield 50? He's like 50-odd. Let me just check that. Yeah. I don't think they're that old at all. He's 54 yeah. or something. No, he's 64. He's 56. So, he, yeah, he's not old at all, is it, really, by any standard? Really, uh, there's some guys out there pushing 70. Uh, then again, Metallica plays quite, uh, you know, fast and, and hard. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah I don't know if punch. they could do it 70, but 65, I would count on that uh-huh, uh-huh. in some form. You know. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, James is back, thankfully, um, from, from his personal strife. And let's just say that whatever, Corona blows over in the next year or so. I reckon they've got at least one more album, one more tour cycle in them, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. And now with Corona, they get a break too. You know, True. They haven't had break in those um, lengths as it could be now potentially. But I mean, I'm I'm really tired of the whole the whole thing. I wanted to blow over. Oh it's yeah. Just, oh my god. Let's see shows again. You know. Yeah. The, yeah. 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 No, I mean, yeah. Like I say, I'm supposed to see Pearl Jam, uh, Drive By Truckers. I don't know if you ever heard of that band, American like um, kind of alternative yeah. folk band, uh, kind of country rock. I was going to see them for the first time in 10 years when I'm all time favorite bands. Going to see them in Camden. That got cancelled. I was I was going to see some of the stars of the Sopranos that were coming to Birmingham for like a talking date. And, you know, it's annoying, isn't it? We've all had to cancel stuff. But I mean, I, my, I still see my friends. I don't know. Can you do that? You can't. Not, yeah. No. No, we can't. I, I, small I, group. Yeah. People. You still do and play 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 music and, and talk shit. So I still have that hey, part of my life, but I'm glad. the public part is. Yeah. yeah. So so um you know just to just to wrap up then, as we've not yep. as we've not technically done a song episode, this is the first time we've we've spoken. So I'll I'll ask my questions that I ask every guest. Uh, what is your uh, what is your favorite Metallica song? It's gonna be Master Puppets. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many good options, but oh, yeah. you can't read. It is just perfect. 
It's a perfect song. It is, isn't it? I mean, it, it's it's like a it's Bohemian Rhapsody esque, isn't it? In, in its movements and its sections, like it's just and the middle part really like worked oh. so well for, at that age too. I was just I was very into to big melodies and and uh, it's just ah, it's so mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, lyric, we... good. oh yeah, energy is there. Action is perfect. You know, it's, it's it has to be master puppet. And uh, favorite album by the band. Uh, that one is a bit tougher, and I would like a little bit of your input on that too, because I'm gonna say Ride Lightning. Mm-hmm. And uh, from listening to your episodes, I have a feeling that it could should be your favorite too, because you keep mentioning like Fade to Black, Guts Up all the time, Creeping Death uh, is your favorite one, right? Yeah, it is. It is Creepy Death. Yeah, Creepy Death is my favorite Metallica song. Um, I'd probably say Master. Or Master. Yeah, it's it's one of those two. It's kind of yeah. it's A and B. Yeah. But I think Master's a little bit more cohesive, um, but just not. It's not even that much more cohesive than Ride. It's just you know it depends how I feel on that day. Justice is also there. Justice I've always really enjoyed, but doing this show has made me appreciate that more and more and more. And the Black Album, the unsung songs of the Black Album, like Friend of Misery and Struggle Within and stuff like that. Just you know, I like Don't, don't Tread on Tread on Me. Don't like Tread on Me. Yeah. Yeah, self-mention. I think it's a great sound to that song. And, but yeah, I'm gonna say "Ride Lightning" just because it's uh, it's memories, you know. I guess uh, "Call of Cthulhu" being of my early favorite. I've made a CDR of it, you know. It was in the CDR days, and I printed my own label and stuff for it too, so, <laughs> to save a money. And uh, "Ride Lightning" has, and I, I, that's the one I have on vinyl too. So I listen to it a lot now because I play a lot of vinyl these days. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I love how it sounds. How it kicks off with that strange little uh, cliff on intro and, and then fire fire with fire uh, you got uh, the title track we didn't mention that one. Oh come on yeah yeah stain esque i love megadeth too so you know you get that stain esque flavor in it yeah, yeah right like mm-hmm. and a favorite member of the band uh, that's gonna be lars yeah uh, we addressed it before and it's just yeah we did address it before so i don't have to repeat myself mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. he's the end and then i would say james if i was you know in an emotional state, I would say James because he's uh, heart and soul, I guess, of of Metallica. But uh, Lars is the engine, and he gets a lot of shit. So I'm gonna have to be on team Lars. All right, all right. And uh, I mean, you said you've seen the band before. How many times have you actually seen them? Three times. Three times. So three times. two times with a 180 setup, and then a third time with the 361. So 11, 14, and 18 of mm-hmm. the last decade. And a final question then, if you were to do a podcast like this about a band that you love, what's a band that you'd like to cover? Mm, Megadeth would be Me- nice. Yes, there is. There's still I, Megadeth podcast. I don't think there is a Megadeth podcast. There's quite a few Maiden be- podcasts, but I don't think there's a Megadeth yeah, podcast. Uh, Maiden, there is one that is super nerdy and that I like a lot called Talking Maiden. Mm-hmm. It's my most nerdy music podcast I've ever heard. But uh, since I'm such a vivid, this is a diehard fan of, of Maiden, I like it. I love it a lot because it's like, I, otherwise I would be worried. Does this guy even know enough about Maiden? To, you know, yeah, to be, yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus, yeah, no. nerd and he's so good. Megadeth's a good podcast because unlike Metallica, there's so many lineup changes and so many stylistic differences. <laughs> Obviously, Mustaine's the sort of beating on Ellison to a certain extent as well. But I mean, for me personally, it's it's about Nick Menza and Marty Friedman. It's that lineup that I think is the ultimate Megadeth. Yeah. Lineup. I mean, for me, it was Countdown to Extinction for many years because I just bought it by chance very early on. And then mm. you move back and forth to uh, Rust in Peace and oh. also... Euthanasia is great too. I great love album. Euthanasia. I love Euthanasia as a record. Yeah, 
that is clearly the golden lineup. But it's, it would be a fun band to do a pod because Mustaine is so obnoxious too. You know, you have you'd have Definitely. a lot of fun quotes. You know, like you could uh, mirror his him saying like, yeah, "This is the best lineup ever" with Chris Broderick, and then mm-hmm. two years later, Chris Broderick, the fans don't even want him in the band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> shift from. Uh, on one side to another, and then another very funny one that I have to mention because it goes with Metallica. They asked him back in early 2000s, are, are you going to do anything with an orchestra? And his reply was hilarious. He said that in the beginning of Symphony of Destruction, you hear an orchestra tuning up. So we kind of been there, done that. Right. It makes no sense. It's no, a not sample at all. of an orchestra. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's like it's Trump level, you know, he's lying on such a level and just keeping a straight face that it's, it's entertaining. <laughs> he's very entertaining. He is. He <laughs> is. And uh, yeah, you just reminded me definitely need to do an episode on the relationship of Mustaine and Metallica and that history. I think that'd be an interesting thing to explore. So, um, yeah, I guess I guess finally, what about yourself? Is there anything you'd like to promote any music or social media or? Yeah, I guess not really. Uh, I have. I, I might release some stuff in my name. I have. Um, I have a distro kid for that. So mm. if you put my name in the sh- in the show notes somewhere, spelled right. Okay. Yeah. That'd be, well, Jonathan Edlin is my name. Uh, I might release some stuff. Then I have old metal bands, uh, but uh, you know that's not. It's not really recent enough to promote. But there's a. You could check out Corpulent Moth. That's a a fun band that I re-released songs mm. I did when, um, like 15 years ago. But it's it's fun music. I like the word corpulent. You don't hear people say corpulent enough. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a nice name. Corpulent Moth. And that was before uh, Moth Into Flame. Ah, okay, okay. So uh, <laughs> We even had a song called Like a Moth Into Flame, but, you know, it's an old saying. So. It, it is, it is, yeah. It is, it is a similar idiom. So, um, so, yeah, guys, as always, follow us at MetallicaPod. Get in touch with me, MetallicaPod at gmail.com if you want to hop on the show to discuss anything Metallica-wise or music-wise or whatever. Or if you just want to correspond, you just want to chat. Patreon is there if you enjoy the show, you want to get back. iTunes as well. Go back through the archives. Check out all the songs that we've reviewed of all the guests. Uh, you know, all the concerts and the top tens and the countdowns. And, uh, you know, we've been here a long time now. And uh, I'm still on a ball doing the show. And I'm glad you enjoy listening to it as well. We've got another compilation coming out very soon as well. This episode will be out in the future a little bit at the time of us recording this. But uh, go back and check out my top ten instrumental albums episode, which probably came out last week or something at the time of this being released really really proud of that really enjoyed doing that episode as well and hopefully there'll be a few records on there that you've heard or you haven't heard and you get turned on to during these uh mad havoc filled times so um yeah finally john this has been a pleasure thank you again likewise thank you (laughs) 